Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. (laughs) Our scripture reading today is Acts 9, verses 31 to 42. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Acts 9, 31 to 42. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And now as Peter went went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Leda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Leda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So my intention today is to offer you hope. Uh, I, I cannot heal the sick and raise the dead. I don't, th- I don't think I can. I would like to help you with that, but I don't believe I can. Uh, as, as somebody once said, I am not a prophet. Uh, my father's not a prophet, and I work for a nonprofit organization. <laughs> so I don't know what to tell you. But, but I do believe I can offer you hope. And I honestly think that any, any honest preacher is simply trying to do that, trying to offer hope that is based on truth. So let's begin there. The, the center point of Christianity, the, the main event, right, the, 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 the centerpiece is the event of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead, from the tomb 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem. It all hangs on that event. It all comes down to that. And actually, the good news, if you've heard the word gospel, the good news, it really, in a sense, is that the creator is making all things new, beginning with the the resurrection of Jesus. The creator of the universe is making all things new, And it began with the empty tomb of Jesus, and it's going to culminate in the bodily resurrection, the restoration, the perfection of countless souls from all across history and from all over the world. And the good news is that God is going to put an end to the old way of things. 
in a fallen and fractured world. And actually, what I think we're going to see today from Acts chapter 9 is that sickness does hurt and death really does sting. But glory waits beyond them. Now, throughout the four Gospels in the New Testament and throughout the book of Acts, uh, we see signs of life. Throughout the ministry and the acts of Jesus and throughout the acts of his apostles, really the acts of his spirit working through his apostles, through, through those books in the Bible, we see signs of life sprinkled throughout the New Testament. Now, we're working as a church through, if you're visiting with us, we're working through the entire book of Acts. And we're, over, we're more than halfway through, but I want to go back to Acts chapter 9 today. I saved this passage uh, just for Easter. And in Acts chapter 9, we see the apostle Peter, and, and this, is, this is at a point where he's kind of moved out of Jerusalem. There were some persecutions in Jerusalem. And so the early Jewish Christians, a lot of them had to leave. And they went into uh, the surrounding Judean region. So we see at one point here in Acts chapter 9 that Peter was engaged in a sort of itinerant ministry. He was going from town to town, finding whatever refugee disciples of Jesus Christ were in that town uh, who had fled Jerusalem from persecution, had believed in Jesus. And he went from town to town throughout Judea and Samaria just to encourage the saints, the believers who were in those places. And that seems to be what he was doing when, when he got to Lydda. And uh, we see that there's this, there's this man named Aeneas, and he's paralyzed. And Luke tells us very little about Aeneas, uh, other than the fact that he's been bedridden for eight years. What we also know about Aeneas is not only that he was paralyzed for eight years and he was confound to a bed, we also find out that when Peter healed him, the whole town knew about it. Uh, if you pay attention when you drive up and down the road or even just on Main Street in Westminster, uh, you start noticing the same people walking the streets. They kind of have a routine. Some of them are homeless. Some of them are uh, mentally handicapped. Some of them are just severely injured. Uh, and they're out there just doing the rounds, the same streets, the same corners, asking for help, asking for money. You know the people I'm talking about. You've seen them. You kind of see them all the time. They're always there. We don't know whether Aeneas was bedridden in his home or whether he was bedridden out in the street, uh, like some of the men that Jesus healed in the Gospels. But we do know that his infirmity, his eight-year infirmity, was well known in the community. Because when Peter healed him, Luke tells us everybody knew about it. And many people in the town of Lydda believed in the Lord, came to faith in this Jesus. Now, can you imagine if you were driving down the highway um, or you were walking down the street and that person that you have always saw uh, in that wheelchair or on that crutch all of a sudden was walking around healthy in a right state of mind? Can you imagine what that would be like? Well, apparently that's what happened in Lydda. But there's this other instance, the people in Joppa, which is like 10 or 12 miles away, by the coast of the Mediterranean. The people in Joppa heard that Peter was not far away and some amazing things were happening. So they called him down to Joppa because there was, there was a saint, there was a disciple of Christ named Tabitha in Joppa who had just died. And what Luke tells us about Tabitha is in verse 36 of chap, Acts chapter 9, it's that she was known for her good works and acts of charity. And that what that phrase, acts of charity, what it, what it meant in the original language was pity, 
It meant almsgiving. So she was known for her acts of kindness, her, her humanitarian reputation. She was a follower of Jesus. She did many good things for the poor and for those who were needy. And people loved her, and she just died. And uh, Peter arrives at the house, and uh, he goes up to this upper room, and Luke tells us, it's a very vivid account. He's a good, a good ancient historian, and Luke tells us that there were widows there, and they were mourning, they were grieving. And uh, they, were, they were showing Peter these vestiges, these remaining vestiges of Tabitha's life and her kindness. Uh, these articles of clothing that she had made. Maybe, maybe the widows were wearing some of them. Because in those days and in that culture, widows were poor. And so here we have people clinging on to these remaining vestiges of Tabitha's life, her faith, and, and her good acts of kindness. And just grieving over losing her. And Peter's in that environment, right? And... And uh, it, it, it's a very vivid thing. You, you hold on, right? You hold on to the remnants of, of the people that have left you, right? In, in our own house, my children have teddy bears that, that have been fabricated and sewn um, from my brother's clothing who used to be with us. And, and you have these tokens of the people that you miss. And it's a bittersweet thing, right? Because it, in a way, you cling to them because these things or these movies... Um, or these experiences, or these restaurants, they, they remind you of somebody you miss. But it's painful because you know when you see those things that you don't have them anymore. So, so Peter enters an environment that is fresh with that bittersweetness as he sees the clothing that Tabitha once made. But, he, but the people of that town who thought they had lost her for good were actually mistaken. And... The, the wonder of this resurrection of, of Tabitha coming back to life. Now, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't, a, it, it, it wasn't that everybody thought she was dead and she really wasn't and she was actually still alive. Luke carefully points out that, that the Jewish ceremonial washing had already taken place. And she was laid out after she was thoroughly washed. Her body, her corpse was thoroughly washed. She was laid out in the upper room where they were grieving over her. So Luke makes it very clear that she was very dead. And, and then Peter, Peter raises her up. Now I want to make two observations about these two miracles that take place. Uh, the, the first observation is, it's really Jesus doing the miracles. It's not Peter. And Peter makes that very clear because when he walks up to Aeneas in his paralysis, he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And then in Joppa with, with Tabitha, uh, he, he would have remembered what Jesus did. You look at Mark chapter 5, Jesus raised back to life uh, the daughter of Jairus. He was a leader of the synagogue. Uh, and Jesus just went up into an upper room and he just raised the little girl up. Now, Peter probably remembered that because Peter was there when that happened. He was in the room with James and John. Now, Peter is here, and he knows he's not Jesus, and so what does he do? Luke tells us he kneels down, and he prays. And then he says to Tabitha, get up. And she does. So the first thing just to observe, very simply, is it's really Jesus doing these miracles. It's not really Peter. The other thing to notice is that both miraculous accounts affected Two communities. So that it says in Lydda, they turned to the Lord. And in Joppa, they believed in the Lord. And that really seems to be the biblical purpose 
of miracles. When you look in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament and the Gospels and right here in the book of Acts, it really seems that the purpose of miracles are to draw attention to the power and the glory of God and to authenticate the message of his messengers. In this instance, being the apostle Peter. Now, of course, we all, we all know Aeneas and Tabitha would eventually die. Right? And in Tabitha's case, she's going to die again. <laughs> it was going to happen, but not permanently. And that's what their resurrection and their healing were all about. That the death that was going to eventually come was not permanent. It was Jesus himself who in John chapter 6 said, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, he's talking about himself, everyone who believes and looks on the Son should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And the healings and the miracles are, they're signs of life. They're, they're, they're just, they're soft, hopeful murmurs of this coming resurrection that Jesus was talking about. So, practically speaking, what are these signs of life that you read about in these ancient accounts? What do they really mean for us? We read them plainly as a history, but... What do they mean for you? What do these signs of life really mean? I want to bring up two things again. And the first is this, that Christians can persevere through sickness. I'm not just saying put up with sickness. I'm not just saying get through sickness. I'm saying if you are a Christian, if you follow this Jesus, then you can persevere through the sicknesses of your bodies and the sicknesses of your minds. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 said this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Right? That's you if you're, you belong to Jesus. For the creation, Paul went on, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, if you are sick, if you are dealing with a chronic illness or a physical disability or a psychological disability, I want you to hear Paul's words and think about Aeneas rising up from his bed and consider that your sufferings our training. It's not simply that you got to put up with a world where crap happens. Your sufferings are training for glory. Your disability is a training for glory. The effects of your accidents and even your mistakes and the injustices done upon you is for you in faith training for glory. It's, I thought about it this week. It's kind of like swinging a baseball bat with a weight on it. When I, when I was growing up, all, what we had was really simple. It was, um, if you play baseball, it was just a donut. It was a thick, hard, iron, metal donut. And you just slide it over the bat, and you swing, and you swing, and you swing, and you swing. Or if, if you were really going budget, low budget, you just grabbed another bat. And you just sw would swing both of the bats and swing both of the bats. And the point of that was you weren't just torturing yourself and making things difficult of, on yourself. Because when you stepped up to the plate, you took the weight off. 
When you stepped up to the baseball plate, you, took, you threw aside the other bat. Why? Because the extra weight was training you to be ready for the weightlessness of just having one bat so that you can swing with freedom and speed and strength. That's why you use the extra weight, because you were training. Well, look at your suffering in Christ, in faith in Christ, as anticipating your redemption. Look at your suffering as, yes, you're, you're living life with a limp. You're going through life with a weight. It's a struggle. It's hard. But it is in anticipation for finally being restored, for finally being liberated and actually living. And you look back on your suffering and you go, ah, God was training me to really live. He wasn't just preparing me for death or annihilation. So Christian suffering anticipates actually the joy of redemption. And as Paul says, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Not only, not only that, not only as a Christian, if you follow and trust Christ, can you persevere through your disabilities and your sicknesses and your weaknesses, but Christians can actually reject the fear and the finality of death. This is even more personal. I watched the movie, O Brother, Where Art Thou? And there's a point, there's a point in O Brother, Where Art Thou? Where you hear the old southern song, O Death. Oh, death, won't you spare me over for another year? And that really summarizes the human condition. In our natural state, we are just trying to avoid death. Another year, another decade, another moment, a missed accident. We're just trying to avoid death. We're just hoping that, that it prolongs its coming so that we have more time. Because in our natural state, all, all, all of human life, the decisions we make, the things we build, even our successes, it's all designed because we're trying to avoid death. And we know that it's coming and we're concerned about it. And that becomes the motivation for much of human activity. But Christians, Christians live in hope and anticipation of finally living. Not of dying, but of finally living. That's the hope of resurrection. That's the hope of healing. So that the Apostle Paul could say in his amazing manifesto about resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Remember that and read it on your own time. He was able to say to death, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We just sang about it earlier. It's actually a victory chant. He's, he's psyching out death. Because of what he knows, he's saying, what do you have? What do you have on me? You really have nothing. So that Christians can stare deaf in the faith and say, <laughs> you're not the boss of me. You're coming, but you're not the boss of me. So in Christ, and when I say in Christ, I mean when, when you belong to him, when you put your trust in him and not in yourself, you can regard your present suffering and your approaching death as training for glory. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is it so hard? Why is it difficult to actually believe that Jesus will raise your body from the dead? I want to know what you think. Why is it difficult to believe that? And if you don't want to be personal about it, you can just be general and say, well, this is why people seem to think that it's difficult to believe that God will raise our bodies from the dead. What do you think? Well, 
there you go. Our bodies naturally decompose. And, and even worse than that, sometimes bodies are kind of disintegrated and annihilating. You're just kind of like, well, where is it going to come back from? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Somebody once said to me, you know, we live in the age of, of um, computers and information and electronic uh, filing, digital filing. And, and in a sense, if God is our creator, he kind of has our DNA on file, which means he can always bring it back. He can always bring you back regardless of what happens to your physical body and how you die. Yeah, that is. Uh, thank you for that. That is very practical and it's very honest. What else? Okay, entropy, and she said in, in this world, people are just used to nothing lasting, everything dying, everything decaying. Robert Frost saying nothing gold can stay. Um, yeah, we're just kind of used to things falling apart and, and dying, and then we, we just try and put a good spin on it like the Lion King, right? And if you die as a lion, well, some antelope's going to eat the grass where you died, and isn't that wonderful? Well, it's not wonderful because even when you look at roadkill, it's distracting. And when you think of a dead person, it's just downright horrifying and miserable. And you go, this is the normal way of things? This is terrible. Good point. Somebody, yeah, in the back, Taylor. Um, it's easier to believe that if you work in medicine or doctors, it's easy to believe that healing is the work of medicine and, 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 and uh, uh, doctors. Right, like, right, it, it was the jolt of, of electricity. They brought, right, medicine brought me back, yeah. Okay, all right, so it's just, we just kind of think medically and scientifically and can't really think outside of that parameter, maybe. Okay, thank you. Any other thoughts? Yeah. You've never done it. <laughs> You've never died. Yeah. Good point. Oh, good. She said, we don't know Lazarus, right, who, who died and then was brought out of the tomb, but then died again. Good point. So you can't ask people, so what it, what's it like there and how do you deal with it? Uh, yes, and then, yeah. I think that's important. She said, it sounds too good to be true. When, when, when my brother was sick and I was in a waiting room day after day, I met an old Jewish woman. From New York. She was a poet. Um, really smart, delightful old lady. And we talked about Christianity. She was an atheist, by the way. She was raised Jewish, but she was an atheist. And she said to me, she stopped believing when her dad died. And she, not, not, on, not by design, but her uncles were they, were, they were washing his body. And she saw them. She saw them washing her dad's body. And she said, at that moment, I was nine years old. I stopped believing. And she said, I love the Christian message that God would become a human to save us. I love it. It's a beautiful story. I just can't believe it. And that's where it started. And so she kind of almost this, this poet suffering from a lack of imagination, as C.S. Lewis would say. Yeah. It's, our, it's, a, it's, it's kind of in our nature to believe what we cannot see. I'm sorry, to not believe what we cannot see. So you say, oh, well, I didn't see somebody rise from the dead. So it must just be a myth. Okay, maybe one more. Did anybody else? Because there were kind of a lot of hands. 
Okay, good. Thank you for being honest. I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, actually, unbelief, and let's just be honest, it's, it's, the, the room is full of two kinds of people, people who don't believe or people who from time to time struggle to believe. And uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book on miracles, he actually said that, that, in a way, unbelief is a lack of imagination and a lapse of reasoning. He actually, he doesn't build a scientific argument in the book on miracles. He builds a philosophical argument. Um, and, but but he, he says, he says un, the, the unbelief in miracles, like the ones we're reading about today that Luke recorded, it's a lack of imagination and a lapse of reasoning that really, really makes us struggle. He challenged the presumption in his book that miracles are violations of nature. Because that's kind of just the way we think in our in our scientifically geared minds, um, we just assume that anything that's a miracle is a violation of nature. There simply just must be some scientific or natural explanation for it. Uh, but in general, nature can be violated. Well, C.S. Lewis reminds us that, you know, human beings affect and impact nature all the time without violating nature. We, we devise medicine for our ailments. We build bridges to span gaps. We build rockets to break gravity, always affecting nature without violating its laws. And so then he says, why do we then limit, the, a cre- if there is a creator who created the universe and established its natural laws, why do we now limit the creator to affect his purposes in nature without violating its laws. I think that's something for you to consider. Actually, Charles Spurgeon, the old preacher in England, he put it this way. He said, we do not believe, he's talking about himself and and the Christian perspective on resurrection. We do not believe that a law has been rudely violated in one extraordinary or unparalleled episode. We believe that a universal law of life overmastering death and always superior to it, has had once a visible witness. I really don't think that your unbelief is because you're too intelligent or too smart or live in the 21st century. I really don't think that's the problem. And and I'll show it to you this way. There's this parable in Luke chapter 16. Jesus is talking and he says there are these two guys who die, a rich man and a poor man. And uh, they they leave and, and the poor man is in, he's kind of in heaven. And the rich man is kind of in hell. And the rich man can see Father Abraham somehow. It's again, it's a parable. And, he, and the rich man is like in anguish and he cries out to Abraham. He says, Father Abraham, please, please send the poor man who seems to be doing great. Please send the poor man back to go warn my family about their approaching doom. They, somebody needs to tell them, please send, send somebody back to go help my family and tell them this is going to be their terrible fate. Kind of like a, a Scrooge and Marley situation. And Abraham says to the rich man there in Hades, he goes, look, uh, they have Moses and the prophets to listen to. If they just listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll warn them about their coming doom. And that's all they need. And, and the rich man goes, no, 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 no. 
you need to send somebody back to physically warn them and tell them what's coming. And then this is, this is what in the parable, in Jesus' parable, this is what, how Abraham replies. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So perhaps it is not that you are too intelligent, that you cannot believe in miracles, but perhaps it is because you are too stubborn. The resurrection gives hope that will relieve your anger and it gives hope that will conquer your fear and your unbelief. I read these, I read these words at every graveside, every graveside funeral I do, right there uh, at that moment. Because, you know, in, in, the, in the church building or the funeral home, uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's like a celebration. It's, it's, it's a... It's a commemoration. Uh, there's a lot going on. But when you finally take a family to the grave, that's the end. That's it. When that casket goes into the ground, there is a finality to that moment. And so I always read these words every time I bring a family to a, to a graveside. Um, and it's, it's from the Apostle John and the vision that God gave him about reality and and the future it's revelation chapter 21 where john said i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So, friend, I'm asking you to participate in the new humanity. To participate in the resurrected humanity by embracing the Jesus who died and the Jesus who rose from the dead. From, 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 his, from his violated, invaded tomb where, where, death, where life invaded death. From the moment Jesus left the grave, he has been building a new humanity. And I encourage you. To be a part of it. And I encourage you to stay a part of it. As he makes all things new. Even you my friends. And this Jesus. He can, he can relieve your anger. Like right? a sickness and death have made you, some of you angry. He can relieve your anger. He can, he can even conquer your fear. He can conquer your fear of death. He can conquer your fear that the people around you are going to die. And he can help your unbelief. We read earlier from Romans 13 when Paul said salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So, yeah, sickness hurts. It will. And death stings. It does. But in Christ, glory waits beyond them. So, so let's regard our present sufferings and our approaching death 
as training for glory. And if you do not yet believe it applies to you, talk to me. You want to participate in this new humanity that Jesus has begun? Come and talk to me and we'll figure this out. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we struggle. We struggle to believe what's beyond our own noses. And we suffer from a lack of imagination and bad thinking. Please redeem us of these things. Correct these things in our minds and in our hearts. We look forward to you resurrecting our bodies. We look forward to healing. The healing of our own bodies. The, 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 the healing of our own broken souls and broken hearts. We look forward to how to how you will redeem the sufferings of those we love. Father, we ask for faith. We ask that you would help our unbelief and help their unbelief if they're struggling, Father. Thank you. Thank you that Jesus is alive. Uh, we look forward to meeting him face to face. Lord, even as you, you work miracles in the world now, uh, we, we don't think for a second uh, that that that's going to solve all of our problems right now. We know that the resurrection of Jesus is proof that you will not abandon us to the grave. And so we wait in expectation for the revelation of our glorified bodies as creation, which is now groaning, will finally, um, will finally sigh in relief and in worship as the sons and daughters of God are revealed. Lord, do it, please, in Jesus' name. And give us joy today. Amen.